for 11 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. Information that you can't get anywhere else. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. Come on in, y'all. On this Independence Day edition of Rosie on the House, my door is wide open. Come on in and join the conversation if you'd like. Give us a call at one 767 4348 When you hear the auto attendant, just hit one to bypass the message, and that'll get you right into the studio. That's right. That's an auto, auto response. Just hit one, and that'll send you straight to us. You'll bypass all that speech we're here this morning uh doing what we can to become your best friend and one of the things we always take a look at is what are people reaching out to us for what are the questions they're asking us about their home and believe it or not uh, the the one question we saw more often than any other question in the last week or 10 days was how can i find a stud i guess people must be buying things that need to be hung would be my guess. And a little redecorated. And and I tell you, uh, it when I when I started in the trades, we got pretty good at just using our finger, and we would just tap the sheetrock, and you could tell uh, acoustically when you were on top of the stud or not. But as our ears get older, <laughs> uh, it, it became a little harder, and they develop these stud finders that actually you mount on the wall or, or, or press on the wall, move it across the wall horizontally, and it will kind of give you some light indications as to where that stud is or not. And the, that helped. That was pretty good. But here fairly recently, I want to say maybe five or six years ago, they came out with a stud finder that actually pinpoints the edges of each side so you're not mistakenly driving that nail that's going to hang your whatever, your mirror. Uh, you're not mistakenly just catching a corner of the stud. You're finding the dead center of it, gaining the bulk of all the strength that that nail can hold. And something as simple as a drywall nail nailed into a stud left out just far enough for your wire to get back behind the head. I always like drywall nails because they have a, a real thin little head and you can t- tuck them in close to the wall and it doesn't hold the picture out. But just that one nail in a stud is capable of holding approximately 200 pounds. So I think most people are surprised. And if you can't find a stud or if the stud isn't where you want to hang that picture, Here's the, here's the secret. Take that drywall nail. A drywall nail's a bit sharper than a lot of other nails. Slope it slightly down so that when you're done, the, the wire will hang on the hook and be pushed against the wall. Do not take that nail with your hammer and go tap, 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 tap. Every time you tap it, you're degrading the integrity of the sheetrock. Get the nail right where you want it, take your hammer, and with one swipe, hit it and set it. Just the drywall nail in drywall will support about 65 pounds, but don't tap it in. Drive it with one quick, smooth, swift stroke, 
and be done with it. Now, that fits well with our topic of the week, which if you're a subscriber to our newsletter, we demonstrate in a great article, and I think it's one of the better articles we've done because we photo enhanced it with a recent job. We're asked, I mean, when I get a phone call at the office, uh, we're thinking about doing a remodel. The first thing I ask him is, well, what, what general area are you in? And if it's central Scottsdale, south central Scottsdale, Arcadia East, Arcadia West, uh, any of the Madison Meadow area, invariably it's going to be I'm in a ranch home built in the 50s or the 60s or 70s. As I walk in the front door, I'm in the living room. You can kind of look across the living room to what's the dining room. And then I go past a wall that divides the middle of the house into the family room and the kitchen. That's the ranch floor plan that we built tens of thousands of them in the 60s and the 70s. And everybody wants to get rid of that wall. And they ask me, is it load-bearing? I can tell you, any wall running down the middle of your house, if your house was built before about 1975, chances are, it's load-bearing, and it may be load-bearing even if it's newer than that. And we demonstrate in this article how we set up the dust protection walls, how we saw cut the concrete, put the post in, put the beam in, and you can have the beam either flush with the ceiling, the bottom of the beam flush, so you make your drywall repair and you don't see anything. Some people opt to leave the beam down below and leave it as an exposed architectural element. You can do it either way. But we'll be covering more about load-bearing and non-load-bearing walls through the course of this hour. We'll also be sharing some interesting information on history with Assistant Professor of History, Dr. David Dean from Grand Canyon University. Repeat guest by demand. Uh, we always get a great feedback whenever Dr. Dean joins us on air. I demand to be back on. Wait. <laughs> and and we're talking Independence Day. And I I, I just love hitting the pause button because you kind of gloss over it. You got July 4th, okay, it's the day the Declaration of Independence was was uh, signed and approved. And but you forget everything that kind of leads up to this. And you know, one of the one of the more interesting characters in history, I think is that first president of the Continental Congress. Uh, well, he was the first. He succeeded uh, uh, John Hancock. But you're talking about uh, Henry Lawrence from South Carolina. And what's interesting about him is he really represents that planter-merchant class that really fermented that revolution. Uh, he had direct experiences with England and the, and the policies of government that were infringing on his business and his ability to, to, uh, uh, to run in his operations. Um, he had mobs of people come into his house and, and ransack it looking for evidences of the Stamp Act on his papers, his personal papers. He had his ships that were taking goods that were produced in South Carolina like rice and indigo over to England and coming back with wine. He had those ships conf uh, confiscated and boarded for customs enforcements and things that, that were all part of the colonial experience and the heavy hand of the British government that the colonists were saying, hey, we don't need all this, all these things. And so um, he uh, ended up uh, serving in the Continental Congress 
uh, right after John Ad- uh, John Hancock was the president of Congress. He succeeded him. And then uh, during the war, he was actually sent on a delegation to help raise money for the effort to Holland. And on his way over— The Treasury had no money for a war. No. Con- None. Well, and the way they financed the war <laughs> was they went around to each of the states and said, hey, we need to pay some troops. we got to buy some guns and some t- shoes and, you know, Funyuns and DVDs and stuff for the <laughs> troops and stuff. So they had <laughs> pickles. They had to buy and, and, um, and, and so in doing so, they had to raise the money by asking the states for the money. They couldn't just raise a tax. And so it was a very complicated process, and we needed the help of other governments. Uh, part of the declaration was help telling other governments, hey, we're declaring our independence, and we're going to rely on you to help us you know, establish our freedom. And so on his way over to Holland, his ship was, uh, was, was uh, uh, boarded, and his uh, um, mission was found out, and he was hauled off to London, and he spent 15 months in the Tower of London uh, as a prisoner. And his name again? His name was Henry Lawrence from South Carolina. Uh, he's one of the first South Carolinians, even though he did own slaves and had participated in the slave trade early in his career, he eventually got away from that. And reading the Declaration of Independence just reminded him of how much he abhorred slavery and uh, worked the rest of his life against that. He saw how it was bad for for everyone. There was no good that could come from it. And as a good Christian uh, uh, person, he recognized the error of his ways and fought as that was part of what he believed the Declaration was all about, that freedoms for all um, that John Locke had talked about. And so he spent 15 months over in the Tower of London, and I don't know if you've ever been there, Rosie. but no, uh, I haven't. Uh, it's, it's an amazing place, but it's not a place that you want a vacation at uh, if you're in the 16th century, 17th century, uh, because it's just a, a, a prison, a jail. Uh, and there are many political prisoners there uh, that went through and were executed and whatnot there. So your fate at the Tower of London was always kind of suspect. Oh, boy. And it didn't it didn't fare well for him. He ended up being ill the basically the rest of his life. Right, right. It it, it really took a toll on him. He was later uh, selected to be part of the peace delegation and couldn't actually go through with a lot and couldn't attend the actually signing of the peace treaty in 1783 because he was he was ill because of his time in prison. But the only way they got out and and just to, to uh, uh, the point about how important he was, we had to trade General Cornwallis for him. That's how we got him out of prison was we traded Cornwallis, who we captured at Yorktown. Washington had captured him, the senior general for the British Army. We were able to trade him, trade Cornwallis for Lawrence to get him back. It had to be somebody pretty valuable. Yeah. So Cornwallis, of course, you know, ran the Southern campaign, was doing pretty well until he made the mistake of hanging out at Yorktown. And then the French came up from the south and blocked his retreat from the British uh, Navy, uh, and then Washington surrounded him, and he was war was over for him. All right. We're diving deep into American history today. We're going to be diving deep into load-bearing and non-load-bearing walls, and we'll dive deep into any topic you'd like to address at your house. Just ring one 767 There's an auto attendant there. Just press 1, and it'll come straight through to the studio and we'll start a conversation on whatever project you're trying to tackle around your house, home, castle, or cabin here at Rosie on the House. We'll be right back. (music) 
And we're here this morning talking about load-bearing and non-load-bearing walls. We're also celebrating the Independence Day edition of Rosie on the House. Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands. We're talking 27 grievances. Dr. Dean, here's one of the grievances I'd like you to explain to me. Okay. For depriving us of the benefits of trial by jury. So one of the things that the um, the way the, uh, the British government handled uh, the colonies was through a series of things called the Navigation Acts. They actually didn't have a manual. Hey, here's how to run a colony 101. They used these laws based on navigation and trade called the Navigation Acts, which regulated the customs back and forth. And when you violated those, the admiralty would prosecute you, the admiralty uh, which was enforcing those customs laws. Well, we were used to having trials by our peers here in America. And one of the crackdowns that the Townsend and the the parliament did, uh, the Prime Minister Townsend and the others did was, hey, they're not getting good trials in our favor by being tried by their peers over there in the New World. So they would bring those violators back to London and try them there, and most times found guilty. And so that's the depriving them of their trial by jury. They were going back to the Admiralty Courts in England, and if you go to Trafalgar Square and you look to the southwest, there's the Admiralty Courts right there. And so you were all those those prisoners would go and they would be held and then they would put on trial and then they were usually taken down to the docks and hung from yard arms for violations of the customs and things. And so that's one of the grievances that they talked about. Hey, we're used to having our own trials by jury, picking our peers and our communities to hear what, you know, cases and try, uh, decide whether somebody was guilty or not. And now you're taking that away from us by moving those prisoners over to England. And so it was a... The, the, the very next grievance... For transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. <laughs> right. And that goes right to that. They would transport them over to land. And so now they're away from their family, their friends, their defense. Uh, and, and, and if they didn't get a fair shake, they would be, you know, um, essentially railroaded into these guilty uh, 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 verdicts. In fact, the famous privateer, pri- pirate, whichever way you want to call it, Captain Kidd. Was part of that kind of uh, that kind of system. He was he was brought up on charges that his privateering was really piracy, and off he went to England and was all of his papers and his things were confiscated and he had no fair trial and he was ended up uh, being convicted over there and, and terminated. Went to the gallows. Oh, to the gallows. Man. Yeah. Well, one thing. The other topic we're trying to cover today, I'm I'm so interested in this. I'm I'm really we focusing on, but I want to talk more about the load bearing walls as well as well. We don't get a July Fourth broadcast on Saturdays very often. That's right. That's exactly right. So as I was mentioning, we're kind of focusing on load bearing walls this hour, and the ranch homes that we built so many of in Arizona has a wall running between the family room and the living room, the kitchen and the dining room, that can fairly easily be removed. But let me describe to y'all quickly what happens. When we build those houses, we lay out the concrete forms, and then we chalk a line down the center. Just before the concrete showed up, we would take a shovel and dig out a scoop right down the center of the house, to create a linear load-bearing footing. 
It wasn't a full load bearing, but it was enough to get done what we needed to get done. So that wall supports your ceiling joist that holds up your drywall ceiling. And then on the top of that wall, we have V posts that kick up and support the roof rafters that support your roof deck. Okay. So that wall ends up carrying quite a bit of weight and it's carrying it in a linear fashion. Now, when we want to eliminate it, we're going to put a beam up there and we're going to convert the load from a linear to what we call a concentrated load. Two concentrated loads will now be carrying all that weight. To do that, we've got to get the wall out of the way. We've got to saw cut your existing concrete floor. We've got to put in some spread footings reinforced with rebar, back pour the concrete, put the post base uh, clamps in the concrete and allow that to dry. Now we're getting ready to be able to start cutting the ceiling joists, bring in the post and bring in the beams, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the next segment. So load bearing walls, it's one of our most common remodeling projects we do. Everybody wants it opened up, open up, give me a bigger room. I want the kitchen and the family and the living room, all one big space. People ask me all the time, can I get rid of this wall? One thing you need to know, there isn't a load bearing wall. If you got the right engineer that can't be done away with, if you got the budget for it. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. If you'd like to join the conversation, going into bottom of the hour news, be a perfect time to uh, get through screening. Just hit one when you hear the auto attendant. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, and you can email info at rosieonthehouse dot com. And if you're paying attention to Dr. Dean's history and trivia facts, at the end of the hour, we'll have another giveaway. Uh, we gave away it was a page. Got the correct answer on the number of grievances, uh, 27. So through his history and facts, we'll ask another one. Correct answers, text into 411923. We'll be sending you, uh, we'll pick up one winner per hour and send you an American-made flag so you can fly old glory. Independent Day edition of Rosie on the House. Every Saturday morning, we're here on the radio trying to become your best friend. We want to be every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And we choose to do that by informing you, educating you, and protecting you. So under the banner of protecting you, let me alert you to a particular company that is being very, very aggressive. Um, they come knock on your door, uh, kind of the, you, you've heard the song before. Well, we're in the neighborhood. We've got some leftover material. Uh, they, they're not wearing any masks from the reports we're getting. Uh, today and today only, we have this special offer to give you. So one of our astute Rosie on the House listeners had the person stand at the front door and went to the website. This company has 700 complaints with a Better Business Bureau. They're out of Utah and they have sites throughout the country. 
All the complaints are the same. They're pushy. They promise they're impossible to cancel. It's poor customer service. So if someone knocks on your door using those tactics, I'm going to name them. They're called Aptive, Aptive Environmental, and they're marketing pest control products. And they're apparently hitting Arizona hard, and they wouldn't be the first crooked contractor we help run out of the state. So buyer beware, Aptive Environmental. Just look at the Better Business Bureau uh, uh, website, 700 complaints. Come on now, people. All right. We had another email from Brian out in Queen Creek. And he says, uh, you know, he has a large project. Uh, it's it's going to be big numbers. And I know hiring a general contractor costs money. But how, when do you decide to hire a general? And when do you decide to maybe just be the, the general yourself? Well, the biggest part of that question is... How much time do you have? Here's, here are the best arguments I can tell you for hiring a remodeling contractor who's got a longstanding, successful relationship in the community. One, they've already weeded out every subcontractor not to use. You, as a homeowner directing the contract, are probably going to find a lot of subs by live and learn that you wouldn't use a second time, but you're not going to have a second job. So a general contractor is going to bring the right subs to the job. If that contractor is astute, he's going to be buying from that subcontractor considerably better than you can buy. If I'm an electrician and I've got one remodeling contractor giving me seven or eight jobs a month, he gets a much different price than a homeowner calling me, and I know as an electrician that homeowner is going to be their own general contractor. So I'm probably going to be called to the job more often than need be. I'm probably going to be going to the job before it's ready. I'm going to basically be educating the homeowner how to be a superintendent. That you get a much different price than the experienced remodeler does. And that goes the same for all the supplies as well. And then think of the timing involved. There was a study that came out from Howes uh, just this week that said the median kitchen remodel spent in 2019 was $12,000, and it took four and a half months to get done. Now, folks, that doesn't make any sense. I, I, I can tell you at Rosie Wright Remodeling, we've never done a kitchen remodel for $12,000. I think about the lowest we've ever done is about 15 and it was plastic formica countertops that came out, plastic formica countertops that went in, the cabinet simply got refinished, the flooring didn't change, the appliances didn't change, we did a little touch up in the lighting. You can't remodel a kitchen for $12,000 if remodeling a kitchen in your mind is will pull and replace everything. I think the term remodel is lightly... It, it, how do they use that? What, what do they consider remodel? Because it's not just house, but I've, and I've got this for the 10 o'clock hour, just a number of other reports and articles about, you know, that what homeowners are investing in their homes right now. And they give an average dollar amount. And I'm like, you can't hardly get anything done for that amount. <laughs> it doesn't mesh well with the cost versus value report that has gained a lot of credibility over the last 15, 20 years. And 
when you're talking time frame on four months, this homeowner in Queen Creek, he when he was trying to decide, do I do it myself or hire a contractor? He said, I'm taking eight weeks off. I said, well, eight, eight no, weeks isn't even enough time to, for you to get the design and pull permits. Yeah, and for the size, he mentions what his budget is. Uh, and and eight weeks would be a good start, but it isn't going to, you're, you're going to get to a point uh, it's going to be a pretty critical part of the job eight weeks into it that's actually going to require more and more time. So you have to consider what your time is worth. And you've got to consider what your patience is with subcontractors calling you and telling you, well, I know I was scheduled today, but I can't make it. Uh, well, I know the inspector was supposed to come today, but my work isn't ready for him. So the inspector comes up, the job's not ready. You get red tagged. Then, then you then then you're delayed a couple days there, and and the one guy that caused the delay isn't the only problem. Then you have to contact every other sub down the line, and push them off three or four days. It's very very time intensive. Uh, how many dead days are you going to have on the project while you're trying to consider what to do next, which sub is going to come in next. So you can do it by yourself. If you do, I would highly encourage you to use Rosie on the House certified subcontractors. But if you don't have the time or the patience, and if you want it done where every day something's getting done, there's no dead days, then you probably ought to call a licensed contractor. Here's how a licensed contractor charges. Let's just say your budget is $10,000 for whatever job you want done. One third of that is going to be supplies, material. One third of that is going to be subcontractors and labor. The last third of it is going to be overhead, profit, supervision, and general conditions for the general contractor. Now, if that general contractor is buying correctly, You'll be buying from him about the same price you'll be paying retail, but you'll get all the supervision, all the liability insurance, all the general condition coverage, and all the headaches evaporated. So that's how I tell people they need to be thinking about whether or not to hire a general contractor. I want to get back to load-bearing walls, and I want to get to back to the, the, the uh, Declaration of Independence with Dr. David Dean. Dr. Dean, so the declaration is drafted July 2nd. Mm -hmm. It's edited and finalized and approved July 4th. Yes, sir. Okay. But that's still not the document we see historically. No. So a couple things happened right after that. Thomas Jefferson went to a local printer there in Philadelphia right after the thing was adopted and took uh, what they call a fair copy. And a fair copy is basically the, the secretaries in Congress. They're making copies of what's going on and whatnot. So he takes one of those with the, with the approved language on it over to a printer and asks that guy to uh, John Dunlap to commit an act of treason, typeset and print 200 copies of this document because we're going to circulate it. 
And that's what we know as the Dunlap Broadside. It's a typewritten-looking document of the Declaration of Independence that was circulated around. Any surviving copies of that? Um, there's, uh, there were 200 total. There's a number of them that are still out there. They're worth millions. People, oh. find, them, people find them all the time tucked behind a painting or something at a yard sale. It's, wow. it's really So if you come across one of those, yes, buy every old painting at an at a <laughs> antique store you can. I guess there might be some behind there because they don't have accounted for all 200 of them, I, I think. Okay. But that was read in Philadelphia on July 8th. It was read by uh, Washington and New York on July 9th. It, that was the copy that was circulated around. On August 2nd, they come to, Congress comes back together and they sign what's called the engrossed copy. That's the one with the pretty that's calligraphy. The, that, that's a picture you see on the pretty paper. Uh-huh, the parchment, the one that's in the, in the uh, National Archives. They signed that one. That's called the engrossed copy. And uh, all 56 signers signed that one, and we have that one. And a second engrossed copy was also signed by only Charles Thompson and John Hancock. And uh, we know John Hancock because he signed it really big. The reason why only two signed that one, because that was going to go over to England, that copy. And the other 54 people didn't want their names wow. as treasons, treasoners, you know. So uh, so that copy got sent over. The king. John, John Hancock and. Charles Thompson. Charles Thompson. T-O-M-S-O-N. And so that copy goes over to England. But the king already knew. He had spies that had heard about this. In fact, in uh, uh, August, uh, they were also printing copies of the Declaration of Independence in Belfast, Ireland, and circulating them around England also as to kind of drum up some kind of support wow. things. Because, you know, people in Ireland didn't really like England at the time. And so um, so the, the word was getting out there. But that's how the king kind of found out unofficially. Then officially this engrossed copy makes its way there with these two signatures on it. But that didn't get signed until August second, and that, and and I want to I want to do a little adjunct here in the next segment. About, okay, that's the Constitution done, sealed, signed, delivered. The Declaration, the, the Declaration. Mm-hmm. But then let's talk about the Constitution in just a minute. Let's bring Fred sure. into the conversation. Calling from Tucson, real quick. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. What you up to today? I appreciate. Well, uh, I have a, a 1948. And built Adobe House. The water uh, got uh, pipes got broken, and it filled up with water three uh, Adobe's up all the way through the entire house. I now have the peeling uh, and shedding uh, the Adobe, and I'm trying to find out how to stabilize that Adobe uh, by either putting a uh, some kind of a uh, a paste on it or a paint, something that will stabilize that Adobe. At one time, there was a fellow named the Adobe Doctor, yeah, and he's retired, yeah, and I haven't, and he's not available anymore. But he had done work here in the past when we expanded a three-car carport. Okay, into, uh, well, you you had you had the right you had the right guy on the job, John. Uh, I'm a, you know what I'm going to have to do, Fred? Because it's authentic Adobe, I'm going to have to do a little work because John was always my go-to expert as well. But there are a couple other guys. There's a guy in the uh, uh, National Forest Service uh, that was working with the uh, town of Vail to rebuild the Adobe Railroad Depot. Let me 
let me get a hold of a couple guys and then I'll get a hold of the guys over at Kowalski and we'll we'll I'm not gonna know someone right off the top of my head, but I won't let you down. We'll do a little research and find somebody for you. That would be much appreciated. Thank you very much. All right, you bet you, Fred. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you if you'd like to join the conversation. Text questions four one one nine two three. And next segment we'll be giving away the next American made flag from Valley Forge Flag Company. If you've been paying attention to Dr. Dean, we won't uh, we won't hold you accountable for correct spelling of all uh, names and everything, but uh, but be ready. Four one one nine two three. We'll give away the next American flag. We are uh, Paige, our, our winner called earlier, so we've already got our 8 o'clock one set uh, to send here at the end of the broadcast. Independent Day edition of Rosie on the House, where if you're a subscriber to our email newsletter, you saw one of the things we'd be talking about in today's broadcast is, can I remove that wall? So if you're interested in looking at it, we've basically written an article with pictures showing you the right way to get it done and what needs to be done. Uh, you finish that article, and there's other related content links you can click on, click, click on the five W's of home remodeling. The intricate world of permitting. How to choose a contractor. Do building a codes apply to old houses? These are all articles that are in the library at Rosie on the House for you, the Arizona homeowner. It's absolutely free. The website is yours. It's like an encyclopedia of Arizona home ownership. We've been taking questions on air for 32 years coming up coming up on 32 years and those questions and answers are all posted by category on the website so it really is um, an encyclopedia of home ownership go use it take advantage of it it's there for you we're here the independence day edition of rosie on the house with dr david dean assistant professor of history at grand canyon university we've been talking about the declaration of independence Shortly after that, who came up with the idea of doing a constitution? Well, actually, it wasn't shortly after that. Eleven years later, they came up with our constitution. Isn't that, isn't that something else? So what they were operating on was this thing called the Articles of Confederation. Now, talk about a mishmash, weird kind of document. It basically created this Continental Congress, which came together and created a series of committees. When they were in session, the committees did a lot of work. And then when they went home, a couple of guys stayed behind and did the rest of the work. That was pretty much all it was. There was no judicial branch. There was not even really a power of the president. Um, Washington served as president of the Continental Congress uh, during the Articles of Confederation, and he'd come to work every day with nothing to do. I mean, he'd bring coffee and donuts and say, hey, it's lunchtime. Let's uh, uh, be back here in an hour and a half. You know, I mean, he would come to work. He wanted the job as the commander in chief. So he'd come to work in his uniform when they're debating about who they should get to, to run the army. He's like, pick me, pick me. I'm, you know, I've got a uniform, you know. I got, yeah, I've got the uniform already <laughs> so, tailor-made. Because <laughs> it was a boring job. And what that Articles of Confederation, it kept 
them together, but it had no power of taxation. It had no judicial branch, no no real ideology to it. Just here's how we kind of are going to function as 13 disparate colonies all trying to fight this revolution. A full so, decade after the after the Declaration of Independence is formalized. Right. So they decided— we get around— to the Declaration of Independence. To the Constitution, yes. The Constitution. So, the, so they decided that they needed something, a real formalized document. Now that the war was get, dragging on and over, what are we going to do about running our country? And so Madison sat down and drafted what we know as our Constitution with the three branches of government based on the ideas of, of uh, Enlightenment writer Montesquieu. He uh, used all the— uh, uh, John Locke ideas uh, in order to form a more perfect union. And he created this document. And on September um, uh, 17th, 1787, Congress adopted, just like they adopted the Declaration of Independence on July the 4th, they adopted the uh, Constitution. And then it got sent out to the states to be ratified because the Constitution is based on this principle. All power, all power is held at the states unless specified or specifically given to or necessary for the federal government. And so the states had to ratify. The first was in December of 1787. About two months later, Delaware did. And then uh, Pennsylvania also in uh, New Jersey. And by 1789, North Carolina and finally Rhode Island in May 29, 1790, they uh, um, approved it. Uh, they did their own ratification. But by the time 1789 had come around, they'd had a majority of the 13 states approve it. And so they held elections under that new constitution. And then on March 4th, 1789, the new government was of the United States under that constitution met and formed and started working. Isn't that great? And that's probably the last day they actually did work. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So for this hour, for the American Made Flag by Valley Forge Flag Company, nothing irritates me more than seeing American Made Flag with the tag that says Made In, and it doesn't say USA afterward. I was just, something about that is so... (laughs) Those are the ones that Blood are good. For, boiling. Those are the ones that are good for expressing your constitutional right for free speech and burning. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you'd like one to display, a nice one. Okay, who? What was the man? He was the president of the Continental Congress. <clears throat> we used General Cornwallis and trade to get him back. What was the name of the president of the Continental Congress who was in London for fifteen months? Mm-hmm. In prison, and we used General Cornwallis in trade to get him back. Mm-hmm. What was his name? Text that to 411923, and we'll pick a random right winner to send you an American made flag by Valley Forge Flag Company so you can be displaying old glory over your home, castle, or cabin this Independence Day.